So let's begin by reading together. In verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. As Jude continues his description of false believers and false teachers, he gives us three men as examples to consider in being able to discern people who are pretending to be in the faith. All three men are very interesting to consider. The first one is Cain. Cain was the firstborn son of God's original created individuals. He was the son of Adam, the son of God. So by position, he appeared to belong to the family of God. But in time, Cain revealed he was not in God's family. Let's first read the story of Cain's rejected offering in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis, chap Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to ask Charles to read from verse 3 up to verse 6. <laughs> uh, yep, I understand. I also have some parts in my Bible, <laughs> the exact same, uh, exact same issue. <laughs> We can just see that Gabriel took his father's exhortation to consume the word of God literally. He's eaten some of the pages here. <laughs> Chapter 4 from verse 3 up to verse 6. Kaini na sungu walanyo amasoge negono neka. Mukama na agamba kaini inti. Echiku sungu waza. Chichi echiku sungu waza. Ena chichi echiku ono neseza amasogo. Buono kola oburunji tokirizi buenga. Buono kola ngoburunji tokirizi buenga. Buoto kole burunji echibi. 
chitula kuruji no kwegomba no kwegomba no kwegomba no kwegomba kwe kunaberanga elige nawe ono mufugangako so some people wonder why was Cain's offering rejected while Abel's was accepted. And some people suggest that God must have instructed them to offer a lamb and not a grain offering. But we aren't told that in the text. But what we can say for sure is what the Bible mentions specifically. We see that Cain was angry that the Lord rejected his offering. What does that reaction show was the motivation for Cain's gift? It shows that Cain wanted something in return for his offering. And the fact that he was even jealous of his brother Abel being accepted also shows that. His offering was motivated by self-interest. That's the first quality in Cain where we can draw a parallel to in false believers. They don't want God, but they want God to do things for them. Okay, have you met people like that? So long as things are going well for them, they never mind about God. But when they have needs, that's when they're seeking God. Sin, since they don't truly want God, they aren't satisfied with God. Therefore, when they don't see God do what they want, they turn away. So for example, say someone preaches the gospel like this to them. They say, Jesus is going to make your life better. If you're poor, he's going to make you rich. If you're sick, he's going to make you healthy. So they preach to me and they find me when I'm very sick. 
And I say to myself, I don't, I don't want to be sick. So let me give my life to Christ. So he will make me healthy. But I come to church. I spend about six months there. And I find myself still sick. Will I keep coming to church? No, because I didn't want God. I just wanted him to heal me. And when he doesn't heal me, there's no reason for me to continue. And that's where in Uganda we find very many fake converts to Christianity. Because people preach a false gospel and promise things Jesus does not promise. And then when people don't receive the promises, of course they go away. The next thing the Bible tells us about Cain comes from 1 John chapter 3. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay, again. First John chapter 3, Okay, so another quality of false believers is that they are jealous of and work against true believers. Okay. They persecute the people who are actually righteous. Jesus tells us in John 13:35 that, that all people will know that we are his disciples. John, John 13, verse 35. That all people will know we are Jesus' disciples if we have love for one another. But false believers love themselves. So they will only have love for those who follow along with their agenda. That's, that's why it's very common to hear false teachers who, who are rebuked for contradicting God. 
God's word. Respond by slandering those who rebuke them. They don't defend themselves with scripture. Rather, they attack the person who is confronting them. Cain showed he only loved himself when he murdered his brother. Another mention of Cain is given to us in Hebrews chapter 11. So go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse number 4. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We see Cain's offering condemned here because God says it was not given in faith. The second part of Romans 14.23 tells us whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Which is a, a very interesting thing to consider. Because it's describing any action that a person takes. So any person that is not obedient in faith in Christ is walking in sin. To take a drink of water for them is sin. To eat a plate of food for them is sin. To go to work is sin. Because they're not, first of all, obeying God's call to faith in Christ. False believers do not approach God by faith. But according to their own idea of what should motivate God to give them what they want. So for example, when you ask many people, how can you go to heaven? What do most people say that you ask that question to? Do good. Okay, I must do good. 
Okay? And depending which which religion they come from, their idea of doing good might be very different. But you, but you see that man invents a reward system. If I do these things, then God is going to give me these things, which is not faith, that's works. And we see God does not accept any person who approaches him that way. So those are three things the Bible tells us about Cain. The next man that God mentions is the prophet Balaam. Balaam is a very interesting man. And I want us to take time to go through what the Bible says about him. So this is going to require a bit more reading for us. But we have to do it together so we can draw all of these things out. So Balaam's life is first mentioned to us in Numbers chapter 22. So let's go to Numbers chapter 22. All right, so in verse number one, it says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Petor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amau, to call him saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. 
and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed. And, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now we'll pause there. Does Balaam have a genuine spiritual gift? That is something that people wonder about. Was he just a false prophet? Who, like our false prophets today, mostly they predict things that never happen? And promise things you never receive? Well, the Bible seems to say that Balaam had genuine spiritual power. In Joshua chapter 24, I'm just going to ask Charles to translate this. In verse number 9, God says this to Israel. When he's talking about their history, he refers to Balak, king of Moab, arose to fight against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. God says he delivered Israel from Balaam's intention and caused him to bless Israel instead. Now for God to use that expression that he delivered these people out of Balaam's hands doesn't that suggest that Balaam actually had power? For God to say that he delivered Israel from Balaam, that would, that would suggest that Balaam actually, for whatever reason, had a genuine spiritual ability to bless or to curse. And where we struggle with that in our theology at times is, is we don't think false prophets have any actual power. But that is not true because false prophets minister through Satan's power and the Bible is very clear 
here that Satan has power. If you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read something interesting about the activity of Antichrist. And the source of his power. So in verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Now, now notice this. It says, with all power and false signs and wonders. Now many times in scripture, the Bible talks about Jesus and the apostles doing signs and wonders. And here we have Satan described in the same way. The difference here is that his signs are described as being false signs. Now, now some people think that that means that Satan just tricked you into thinking he had done something miraculous, but really he doesn't do the miracle. But when, Je when Jesus talked about the purpose of signs, why did he say that he did signs? So, and Jessica says, so that we would believe. That's the purpose statement given to us in the gospel. So, so Jesus, did, Jesus did signs to lead us to the truth. Satan does signs to lead us away from the truth. So it's not that his sign isn't, isn't real. But his motive is false. Because he doesn't want to give life, he wants to destroy it. Remember when Moses went and did signs before Pharaoh? First he threw his, the, the staff down and it became a snake, right? Was Pharaoh, was Pharaoh convinced right away when he saw that? No, what did he ask for and who did he ask to? Very good. And did they do the same? Yeah, they did. Now Moses' serpent ate their serpents. Showed whose power was stronger. But 
But you will find all through scripture this thing where Satan will copy the work of God but he does it with a false motive. He does it to keep people from truth. During the Protestant Reformation which was majorly a work where certain teachers were trying to make the Bible common for everyone to have access to it. And the Catholic Church never wanted the common person to have the Bible. Because their motive was to control people, not to, to teach them the truth. And that is why even to this day, if you attend a service in America, many times you'll find the priest speaking in Latin, which no one in the church understands. Now, why, why would I come before you and teach you in a language you cannot understand? Okay, so, but, so the Protestant Reformation created this, this great spiritual revival. Where, the, where people were truly being born again. So there were a group of Catholic priests who called themselves the Jesuits who they asked for permission to travel on behalf of the Pope and to spread Catholicism to places in South America and other places where Christianity had not really reached yet. Because what happens when a person is already convinced that they know something that's true? Remember when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees? He said, you'll travel across land and across sea to make just one convert. And after you convert him, he's twice as much a child of hell as you are. Because for that Pharisee, there's a way that he knows he's a liar. But the one who's believed the liar, he thinks he knows what is true. 
So understand this about Satan. He tries to look like Christ. With the intention that he's going to lead you away from truth. And I want you to notice God, God pronounces a judgment on people who are deceived by Satan. When we continue reading from verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, it says, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now notice what judgment happens to them. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Here is a serious warning to us about the consequences in our life when we reject what God's word says. God says, fine, if you won't believe me, I'm actually going to deceive you so that you believe what is false and, and therefore will never understand what's true. So as we go through God's word, if you are not responding to it with, with obedience and with application, you stand in danger of God condemning you to be a deceived person forever. Now, very interestingly, going back to Balaam, God actually pronounces prophecy through Balaam that no other prophet predicts about Messiah. If you go to Numbers chapter 24 and read verse 17, we see this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Who are the ones in the New Testament that come saying, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him? The wise men. Balaam. Balaam is a false prophet. 
The New Testament identifies him in several places as such. And yet through his mouth, God prophesies about his son in a way that he didn't use Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, or any of the other prophets to do. Now, what, what should that <coughs> make us cautious about? We, in, in our cell group this week, Tata Jaffrey shared, he said, but some of these false teachers, much of what they say is true. And that's why they're dangerous. Because when someone says what is true, we want to affirm them. We want to, we want to welcome them, them as our brother or our sister. But Satan will tell you what is true just so you trust him. And once you trust him, that's where he has opportunity to lead you astray. So I don't, I don't care who is preaching to you. I, if it's me, myself, test what is being said to see whether it actually agrees with what is true. Lest you be deceived. I want us to next go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have a story that's mentioned by Paul and it's not it's not exactly explained where it occurred. And it helps us understand more when the Israelites made the golden calf. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's read from verse 6. For the the sake of time, I'm just going to ask Charles, can you read from verse 6 to verse 8? Kubanga mwabo mulimu abasensera mu nyumba ne banyaga abakazi abasirusiru abazitowerelwe ebibi ebingi abakugibwa okwegomba okutalimu abayiga bulijjo naye ne batayinza ennaku zonna okutuuka kukutegeerera dalala amazima eranga eranga yanne ne yambere bwebaziyiza Hmm. So 
According to Jewish tradition, Janice and Jambres, the name is used here. Yeah, Janice and Jambres. Were two of the Egyptian magicians. Who opposed Moses. But when the Israelites went out from Egypt, the, the Bible mentions that some Egyptians actually went with them. And Jewish tradition suggests that Janus and Jambres were part of that group. And they claim to convert to Judaism. And then when Moses was on the Mount of Sinai, and the people said, we don't know what happened to Moses. And told Aaron to make gods for them. Remember, Aaron makes a golden calf. Well, well the Egyptians worshipped cows. That was one of their gods, one of the types of gods. So it would seem to fit then that maybe these men had a hand in at least suggesting that, oh, we should replace this thing with this other thing. So we see in that example, these men snuck into the camp. Just as Peter warned us, they come in secretly. And they might even stand up here and talk about how God has led them to give their life to Christ. And whenever somebody makes that profession, we get excited right? Yes, we've been, we've been preaching the gospel. This is what we want. But Satan is very aware of what we want. So when he sends someone to work for him, he's going to present himself that way. And then slowly as this person gains trust, they will start being false to the truth to try to lead people astray. Now we're, we're about out of time. So we're going to make one more observation about Balaam and then we'll pick up from here next time. So back in chapter 22 of Numbers, I want us to read verse 7. And we're going to make our first observation about Balaam's character. And this is the main thing God talks about with Balaam over and over. So 
So verse 7 of Numbers 22 says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and, and gave him Balak's message. The first, the first thing Balaam shows us about false prophets is that you can hire a false prophet. They, are, they offer their services. Notice, apparently, there was an established fee for divination. So, so to put it in our context, you know, you go to a doctor's office, maybe, maybe a place where they do imaging, and they will have a sign on the wall. And it might say, X-ray 30,000. Ultrasound, 40,000. Consultation, 10,000. So false prophets, <laughs> apparently, they operate in the same way. You I don't know if you, <coughs> you want me to curse someone, that's 20,000. If you want me to bless someone, that's 40,000. But you know, but you, but you know, if they do that, that's kind of an obvious thing, right? So how do how do they make it a bit more deceptive? Well, when you come to them, they say, well, you know, you've asked for a hard thing. What, what gift are you bringing for the Lord? You know, you can't, ex you can't expect if you don't come with anything to the Lord's altar that he's going to listen to you. Uh, this, this week, Aunt Rachel and I, we had someone visit us from the government. And they were inspecting the, the new medical building. And one of them said to me that at the end of their visit, they expected me to slaughter a goat and put it in an envelope. That's the exact, that's the exact expression. Okay. That's, that's what false prophets do. They ask for their bribes, they ask for their things in an indirect way.
mubukodyo buonji bakole bintu bingi okubanga tebategeereke kamangu Remember when Naaman the Syrian tried to pay Elisha for healing him. And Elisha said, I, I won't accept anything from you. And he sent Naaman away. But Elisha had a servant whose name was Gehazi. And Gehazi said to himself, My master has done very foolishly not to accept something from Naaman. So he ran after Naaman and he lied to him. He represented Elisha as having changed his mind and asking for things. And when he came back to Elisha, Elisha asked him, where did you go, Gehazi? And Gehazi said, your servant went nowhere. And Elisha said to him, didn't my heart go with you when you ran after the Syrian? And he asked him, was it a time to be receiving money and garments? He says, the leprosy of Naban will cling to you and to your house forever. You know, there's an interesting illustration there. Because a prophet is supposed to be someone who leads people to eternal life and gives them freedom forever. But since a false prophet despises that ministry, the, the eternal life that they're supposed to give people is lost by they themselves. And they have they suffer eternal damnation. Remember when Jesus sent out the disciples? In Matthew 10, one of the things he tells them is that you have received without paying. So give, so give without demanding any pay. So if you find a person who tells you, you know, there is a, a door charge to enter this church. Or you must bring your gift in order to be prayed for. God says, that's not his prophet. And that's not his church. Okay? We'll, we'll pause there as we're out of time. And we'll continue with the life of Balaam next week.